Well, if you brought a Bible, go ahead and open it to the book of Ephesians. We'll be in chapter 3, verses 14 to 21 this morning. By way of reminder, um, we have been looking at the book of Ephesians this fall, and as we do, uh, as our tradition to do, we take, try to take books of the Bible and travel through them. That way we get the context of the book, um, and we, we take what is next, which is what we believe to be God's word to us today, um, and not necessarily what the pastor wants to get off his chest, and so... Um, as we've been traveling through this book, we are now ending what many consider to be the first sort of half or section of this book, chapters one to three. And as you might remember, um, I said a few weeks ago that Ephesians is a, a great picture of the, the grammar of the gospel. And that is the first half are, are all indicatives, the indicative truth, what is, what is true for the Christian all right, what has God done for you? What are you now? Um, how have you been saved? All those things. And really throughout those three chapters, he has done nothing but give those indicatives, which means he has not told you to do anything, which is important. We must rest in who we are first before we get to what we're to do, which will be chapters four, five, and six. But our reading this morning uh, concludes this section, this halfway point, and we will uh, pick up, of course, uh, next week with our next section in Ephesians. And then we'll take a break for Advent and then restart Ephesians uh, in the new year. Just a little bit about where we're headed. So um, let's give our attention, though, to the reading of God's Word found, again, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. We pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us, and we ask now that you would open our eyes and our ears that we may see and hear things otherwise we could not, that you would teach us, that you would change us, such as a seed goes into good soil so that your word would go into our hearts and produce a fruit, and that is to change, that we would do this for your glory alone. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Several years ago, I forget who did it, I think the BBC did it first, but it, they put out a series called The Planet Earth, and there have been other series like it and, and uh, variations, but um, this was something that came out, and it was you know, one of these, right as HD TVs were coming more uh, available, and so just to be able to see in uh, that type of detail the beauties and the wonders of our planet, planet Earth. 
And our family at the time still do. Uh, anytime that comes on, especially the BBC version, you know, you just get sort of drawn in by the wonderful narrative, uh, narr you know, narration of all of these places they go and they explore that is our planet. So whether it's oceans, safari, rainforests, you get the idea. Two lessons uh, that, that our family took away from the Planet Earth um, series. Uh, one, stay with the pack. Don't, don't do this when everybody else is going here, especially if you are living in a safari. Um, that was the first one. The second one, though, is it, it, there just isn't a time that you get to the end of the video and you think, well, great, now I know everything that there is to know about the oceans. We can close the book on that. Or I know everything that there is to know about the rainforest. Don't even need to go there anymore, right? You're, you're in awe of how grand the planet is. And not just how grand it is, right, but, but how much that we do know, but then that lends itself to the other side, how much we don't know. Um, you know, interesting things uh, like the, the ocean, for example, right? The, we've explored less of the ocean, I think, the, I think it's right, than... Um, well, let me not get into statistics at this point, but we haven't, we haven't explored a lot of the ocean, but we know it's there. Uh, the, the deepest part, the, the Mariana Trench, right? We, we know how deep that is. It's a mile deeper as is the Mount Everest Hall. We can't get to it. We don't even know what's in there, right? Um, I, a couple weeks ago, this will sort of dive into this whole point. I was having lunch, met, met a woman who works for NASA. And so I asked her, well, what do you do for NASA? So, well, you know, I'm in with the division that's dealing with uh, mapping out the galaxy, okay? Um, you know, dealing with all of the, the telescopes that we put up there, and we just put James, the James Webb telescope, and you can see the pictures that it's bringing back, and it's phenomenal. And so, you know, just curious about this, I'm just like, okay, so what are, what are we thinking at this point <laughs> as it pertains to the galaxy? What do you, what are we, what, what's, what are we, what is this looking like? Is there an edge Right? Are you thinking we're going to get to the point where, you know, and then what's beyond that edge? And I loved her answer, because it first started with, I don't know. We don't know. But what, what she began to talk about, and I hope I'm getting this right, is that basically she says, we, our maps are, we, we don't have the maps to map out the galaxy. And I was, said, huh? And, you know, and she started talking about just the dimensions that we're learning that we can't even create, and in some senses can't even imagine, in order to map out the galaxy. All right, this is where I asked for the check, but it was wonderful talking to you. I thought, I mean, it's amazing, right? And, and, and so I pull that back in to say, whenever we deal with creation, for example, whether it be our planet, galaxy, there's a fullness there, there there's, there, there's a, the grandness of it that is incredible. And so here's the point. If we know, you know, how much we don't know, right? We go look at the oceans, and we know how deep they are. We can't get to the bottom of it. We can't figure it all out. We can't, we can't know all that there is in the ocean. Does it, does it mean that we no longer enjoy its beaches? Does it mean that we no longer strive to learn and enjoy what we can of it? If we can't even picture what a map would look like of the galaxy because we just aren't able at this point to have the computer power to work on the dimensions of what that would look like. 
Should we just give up? Or should we just stop enjoying the pursuit of that knowledge? And I would like to think that everybody in this room would say, no. We should swim in that knowledge. We should swim in that pursuit as much and as often as we can. Even, even if it means we will never exhaust its beauty, its wonder, everything. Okay. Paul has been doing this wonderful thing with the church in Ephesus of drawing this picture of the beauties and the wonders of God and his salvation. And he's talked about his plan. He's talked about what he has done to bring both Jew and Gentile together. And now he gets to sort of what is behind all this, which is his love. And we've touched on that as well. And what he's encouraging the church to do at this point before he leaves this section is he's saying, look, I, I need the church, I need you to spend the rest of your lives swimming in and being filled up with what is infinite, with what you can never get to the bottom of, with what, with, with what is so grand and so other, which is the love of God in Christ so that you can reflect this to the world. That's your job. And we would never say, right, well, look, nobody can put sort of bookends on the love of God. Therefore, you know, we just need to kind of be, we just need to leave it and we'll just see how it all pans out in the end. Right, do you see the, see what, no. Move into it. Continue to explore it, though you will never exhaust it. This is where he leaves them in this section. And because this is where he leaves them, this is what he prays for them, that they would be strengthened to do this. Now, I find that fascinating, especially as a pastor. I would never think, and I've, I've talked to several others who have thought the same, I'd never think to pray that for myself or for you that you would be strengthened to learn how to deal with, to bear with, uh, to, to know and to reflect what is the grandness of God. I just sometimes would stop exploring. I went to seminary, I'm comfortable with the knowledge I have. Right, no, God says for the church, you Move on and into this, being filled up with me. But if you're going to do that, you are going to need to be strengthened in a way like no other. And that's what he prays for them in this section. And that's what we're going to look at. That because of the presence of God, because it is so grand, we need strength to bear it, to know it, and to reflect it as his people. And so I want to look at three things pertaining to this strength in this section. I want to look at the source of the strength that Paul lays out, okay? I want to look at what needs to be strengthened, all right? What is it that Paul is actually praying for will be strengthened in, in the Christians in Ephesus? And then I want to see the goal of the strength, okay? So what's the source of this strength that Paul is praying for for them what needs to be strengthened, and what is the goal of this strength. So let's do that. The source of this strength. As we start here in verse 14, Paul says, for this reason. 
Now, this is tricky with Paul because he, he, he'll start someplace and then he'll tangent and he'll come back to it. And that's what he's done here. He's, he started this way at verse 1 in chapter 3, and then he went on this tangent. Now he's back. And, and where he is back from is where he left us at the end of chapter 2. So his reasoning at this point should go like this. You're no longer strangers and aliens, foreigners to this world, um, talking about in the chapter 2, talking about the church but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household and him, the whole building being built together grows into a holy temple. Y'all remember this, where he essentially is telling, uh, especially Gentile converts, that now you are building blocks, right? That, 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 are, that is this temple that God is, being, is coming to dwell in. For this reason, and this is where Paul goes. Okay, y'all with me? For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in, in heaven and on earth is named. All right, now notice, just a couple of observations. Paul sticks with the family language here, talking about Father. That's who Paul prays to. Uh, kneeling, that wasn't the posture, the normal posture of prayer for, for Jews in that day. They would stand but kneeling has this extra sense of reverence uh, and awe. And so this is what Paul, this is where he goes. He, he kneels before the Father. This is his, his prayer. And it's the Father of all fatherhood in heaven and on earth. Okay, and so remember back to chapter 1, how Paul said God predestined us to, uh, be, uh, to be his sons and daughters for adoption as sons and daughters, right? New family, right? So he's staying with that that line of, fam- of, of fatherhood, family, new family. Okay, so what is Paul kneeling or praying to the Father for? Look at verse 16. This is, this is where we're gonna, verse 16 and 17 is where this really gets um, heavy, to quote, back to the future. Verse 16, I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, I'm just going to be honest, and I also read the Christian Standard uh, Version there. It's a little different than the ESV. At first, this sounds like a lot of spiritual jargon. Um, Not sure if that's true for you, but it's kind of how it comes across. We're, We're using words or phrases like inner being and power and dwell in your heart, right? What what are you talking about, Paul? So we need to break this down a little bit because it's easy to get lost. So before I, we get into the details, let me zoom out here, and I want to give you the train of thought from 16 to 19, okay? So zoom out with me for a little bit. Here's what Paul's praying, and, and we're following these, these, these so that clauses. Paul's praying that the Ephesians would be strengthened with power internally so that they may comprehend and know God's love that surpasses knowledge, paradox there, so that they will be filled with the fullness of God. That's the big picture. Zooming out. Paul is praying that they will be strengthened with power internally so that they may comprehend and know God's love that surpasses knowledge so that they may be filled with the fullness of God. In other words, it is a prayer for strength to be able to bear the weight or glory of God's presence in them as his temple. 
And so in verse 16, he gives us then the source of this strength first or where the strength will come from for the Ephesians. And what is that? It is God's glorious riches. Right there in verse 16. According to the riches of his glory. Now, what are these riches? They're God's grace and they're God's mercy. Right, these are some of the breadcrumbs that he's been dropping for us the entire time. We go back to chapter 1. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Just a little bit after, chapter 2, verse 4, but God being rich in mercy. And then last week, what Jamie preached on 3, 8, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, okay? So what, what are these riches? Riches, he's been telling us. It's, it's God's grace and his mercy to us, right? But in what sense are they riches? Well, they are riches by what they, what, give us. And that is forgiveness. That is new life. As Brian Chappell writes, the riches of God are, are those that cancel spiritual debt. Those are your riches, now, why do we have them? Going back to chapter one, verse seven, the blood of Christ. Right? Is there anything more valuable? So you see how he's building here for this point. This is the source of strength for the Ephesians, meaning that all that God gives his people, he does so out of his own infinite supply of grace and mercy, which, and this is why I go back, I love, which he lavished on them which he lavishes on you, okay? And what this means for the Ephesians is there is an infinite amount of resources to pull from for the strength that they will need. God's riches, right, they are inexhaustible. How then, or now then, if you were a pagan, I want you to think about it like this. If you were a pagan in this day living in Ephesus, what was your source of strength if you needed something, right? Sometimes it's helpful to sort of think of the contrast here, right? Here's, here's the strength that Paul is praying for for the Christians in Ephesus. But if you were living in this day, what would be your, what would you go to? What would be your source of strength? What would you do? You either went to the temple of Artemis, as we've talked about, the great temple, the seventh wonder of the world. And maybe with that, right, you mixed it up with some other offerings or, or praying to other certain gods, That's what, you, that, those were your resources. But more importantly, what did you appeal to when you did this? Your appeal would have been not the riches of Artemis. Your appeal would have not have been the, the riches uh, of, of the gods of whoever it was you were praying to. No, you, you would appeal to what? Your own merit, right? Your own favor, look, I've been good. I've come to the temple regularly, right? I gave this money away, I lived this way. You had nothing to appeal to but your own merit. Now contrast that with what Paul is telling the Ephesians here. The appeal is not based on what you have done. It's not based on your resources. It's based on what? The resources of our heavenly father. 
the resources, the riches of God's grace and his mercy that are infinite. That's the appeal. It's not on what you have done. It is on what Christ has done. That's a big change. And the same is true for us this morning. Where do you go when you want something, right? When you need strength for something and, and think about that personally, but just let's think about that as a culture here in the West, right? Where do we go when we need something? We go to our wallets. You thought I was gonna say Walmart, didn't you? We, and, and there's, this is generally speaking, so please hear that, but just think about how we are able to navigate life. And I'm not saying all this is bad. It's a blessing to live in a place where resources are abundant. But when we have a problem, when we need something, we typically reach for our wallets to deal with that problem. I need a tutor for my child. Let's get one. I need health care. Let's go get that. All right? Name it. What is it that we would need that we wouldn't first either go to our wallets for or that our wallets couldn't solve, right? That's both a blessing and a curse, by the way, in our culture. Leave it at that. Sermon for another day. What is Paul telling the Ephesians? What is he telling us? One, right, what you have, what we have to deal with the issues that we have, what we need strength for, like our wallets aren't gonna cover that. What he's about to tell them they need strength for, for both what's gonna happen to them internally and what they need to be as a church because of what Christ has done for them, their wallets, our wallet, it's not gonna fix that. Praying to Artemis isn't gonna fix that. The only thing that they are going to be able to uh, pull from as far as resources are concerned are nothing other than the riches of God that are infinite, and that are his grace and mercy. Or is, are. This is the first point. And the question that Paul will be leaving the Ephesians with as we, as we continue on through this text, but for the rest of this book, is it's, it's not looking for strength somewhere else, or maybe even just, God, give me something else. You have it, as we are about to see, and it's about, it's about pulling from what is already there. And with that, let's get to our second point. All right, this is the first point, though. The source of strength, God's riches, which are his grace and mercy, how he has forgiven us, adopted us, and, and, and brought us into his family. He is our new Father. But what actually needs strengthening, Ryan, right? Great question, right? If this were, this is where our strength will come from, God's riches, what then needs strengthening? And this is what Paul says. He prays that they would be strengthened in their inner being. Look at verse 16. I pray that he, God, may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being, through his spirit. Continuing in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. What is the inner being? Well, inner being refers to the inner self that the spirit is renewing day to day. Right? This is in contrast to the outer self that is decaying. 
Paul's talked about this before, 2 Corinthians 4.16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self, outer, outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. That's the inner being or inner self. Now, why does it need to be strengthened? Because, verse 17, Jesus has come to what? Dwell in you. Jesus has come to take up residence in you. And this is the point of the entire prayer and the implications of this prayer. God's presence, his glory, his wonders, his everything, it is so grand, we actually need strength for this to not just happen, it's happened, but for this to continue on. This is what he's praying for. We need strength to bear it, to know it and to reflect it. But Paul here is stressing the weightiness of it, the glory of it, that we would hold up to it or bear the reality of his presence in us. This word for dwell in verse 17 is the same one that Paul used back in chapter 2, verse 22, and it means to inhabit. It means to settle down in. In other words, Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, he's not coming to stay with you for a limited time. He's not paying rent. Right? He has come, he, is, he owns this thing now by his blood, and he is coming to dwell, to reside in you. Okay? Paul is not praying uh, that the Spirit would come upon the Ephesians. That's not what this prayer is. Right? That has already happened. He's not praying for a second blessing for these Ephesians to have. No, no, no. His prayer is that they would access what is already there in all believers by virtue of Jesus dwelling in us by his Spirit. He is moving in to stay, friends, whether you like it or not. It is a prayer that God would make himself at home in their hearts, as Richard Cokins writes, at the center of their affections, decisions, and behavior. Okay? So now what does this mean, right? Well, by virtue of dwelling in us, Jesus intends then to change you from the inside out. This is one of the implications of it, but this is primarily why Paul is praying for strength for them, to bear this change. Think about this for a second. Let's just talk generally about what happens when, when, when a roommate moves in or you get married or you have a sibling that you didn't ask for that comes home and now shares a room with you. Did that roommate or did that spouse or did that sibling, right, did, did they have zero effect on you as a person? No, right? Did it challenge you in ways that force you to cry out, Lord, bear me strength? When Ada and I got married, it didn't take long for me to realize that we had two very different ideas about what was clean and what was not clean. We had different ideas as to what furniture should look like and the importance of hanging things like curtains. We had different ideas about the number of pillows that belonged on things like beds or couches. But you know what's so great? After 16 years of marriage, we no longer have different ideas about those things, right? We are all on the same page. We are one with pillows, right? 
These are just earthly roommates, though, or spouses or siblings. Right? Would we expect, though, anything less when we just think about it from you know, that perspective when the second member of the Trinity comes in to take up residence in us by a spirit? No. In fact, this is just what Jesus intends to do in the renewing of our inner beings. He comes to remodel and not just to change the paint color on the, uh, uh, you know, in the house. He comes to tear down walls. He comes to pull up floors. He's making this fit for him. And guess what? That's hard. <laughs> it's not fun. It really is why when somebody comes to you and says, I want to be a Christian, it's not necessarily wrong to look at them and say, really? Why? And now you, now you see why Paul is praying, what, for strength for them, for this. What are, what are some of the things that this looks like? What's some of this remodeling process? What does this look like? Well, let's just talk about a few. Uh, your convictions change. It's not always easy. But as the Spirit comes, as Jesus lives in us by His Spirit, we begin to change, right? We begin to love the things that He loves. That's not always easy. Sometimes it's, it's, it's refreshing. But we also begin to recognize and see the things that He doesn't love and the things that He asks us to actually be in the midst of putting those things to death because He lives here now. And those things, right, the, they can't fit in this temple, is essentially what the Bible is saying. It doesn't shame us. It doesn't guilt us. He's patient with us, but he still demands that this has got to go. And that's not easy. And sometimes, you know, we think about the hard things like, like you know, the, 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 the bad sins, Right, but there are, there are nice things that we kind of like too, you know. And I always think about it like this as far as just illustration. When you remodel a house, right, and you put all this money into whatever it is you're doing, if you're doing a full remodel or just, to, you know, you see these on, things on TV and, you know, there's, there's the guy who has his 20, 30-year-old couch. It's got tears in it, duct tape, you know, he loves it. And he had to take it out, you know, just so they could remodel it, but now he wants to bring it back in. And that's not happening. We all know that's not happening, <laughs> right? But that's, that's kind of what, what you, I like that couch. I love that couch. Yeah, we know. This is, this is the same thing with our pet sins. I got to get rid of that, I know. He wants it all out because he's building something new. And if, if the Ephesians, right, are going to enter into this story with him, they are going to need strength. Because it's not just convictions, right? That's one. Let's talk about some of the harder things too, right? They're going to have to deal with other people. And let's forget about these pagans. That live. Let's talk about the people in the church that they're going to have to deal with that are hard, and difficult, but let's go a step further, right? It's not so much that God brings these wonderful people into our lives so that we can like point out all the things they're doing wrong. No, God's grace and his mercy to us is that he brings us into this family so that we, he, can start dealing with us. That's what we need strength for. Because nobody, 
At least I will go on record. I don't want to deal with me. You don't want to deal with you. Right? There's so many other easier places to put the blame. If we just get these officials elected, then we'll be good to go. If, if my wife would just start doing this, then we'd have a happy marriage. There is nothing about my marriage that God brought Ada into that says, now she's the center of my happiness. God brought Ada into my life so that I would begin to start to see me and my issues. And ask me how much I want to deal with that. None. I don't. God's grace and mercy to me is that I do. Do I need strength for that? Yes. Well, the Ephesian Christians need strength to deal not just with those in the room, but themselves. Yes. Will you need strength to deal with you? Yes. Because this is what it means for Jesus to come in and dwell in you. He's rooting out the self-centeredness. He's rooting out the selfishness. He's rooting out the things that are not of him. And we are full of it. This is why Paul's prayer at this point, because again, comes come back to the grand presence of God, is for strength to bear this chain. And we will talk more about this as the letter goes on, but this is, this is where he leaves his prayer. Bach notes, or at this point in time, Bach notes, this is about God giving enablement that otherwise would not exist. That is why the, the means of this enablement is the spirit of God. They already possess the spirit who sealed their salvation, so the request is about drawing on what has already been provided. Okay, I need to move with time. This is the second point, though, what Paul prays to be strengthened is the inner being. Why? Because God has come to dwell in you, to take up residence in you. And that is a reality beyond comprehension, but he's not done, right? So this moves then to the goal. What's the end of this at this point? The end of the strength that Paul is praying for, and there's two of them. It's to know God's love and it's to reflect God's love. It's to know God's love and it's to reflect God's love. Right, you being rooted and grounded in love, right? This is also a, like, how are we going to deal with the change that God wants to do in us? We're going to appeal to our foundation, right? We're rooted and grounded in love, which is the gospel, which again goes back to God's riches, His grace and mercy to us. That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth or width and length and height and depth of God's love, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. The first goal here is to comprehend, and it's really, it, it, the idea is to capture the information. It's to find the information, right, that leads to knowing. And in this case, it is the love of God, and this is the ocean's floor, right? This is the galaxy that we talked about. This is the infinite abyss that, um, though we will never explore entirely, God is saying, go, swim in it, right? This is, this is what he wants for his church, and you will need strength to do that, right? One of the ways you might think about, but this is how Koken in his commentary speaks of it. He talks about the width here. Uh, and again, this four dimensions uh, that Paul is creating uh, is fascinating. 
but the width here might be uh, God's accepting love or how far God's love reaches, right? You're never going to explore the ends of that, but you are to swim in that, right? And he's talked about this all throughout, always he's talked about this throughout his entire letter up to this point. Right? What about the length, right? This is the, the lasting love or the permanent love of God. He's predestined you. It's not going away. There's the height, right? This is the exalting love. He lifts us up into the heavens. We are seated with Christ. Then there's the depth, right? Which is the sacrificial love of how it finds the worst of sinners. Explore any one of these dimensions. You'll never get there, but that's not the point. The point is, is that you keep exploring them. That you would comprehend what is this unfathomable uh, thing that you may know it. I'm just going to leave that there where it is. This is the first goal. Right? The second then, and this is what it leads to, is that we would be filled up with the fullness of God or reflect what is the love of God. Right? So to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled up with the fullness of God. The paradox here in verse 19, it is not a joke for Paul. As we draw on the riches of God, we are strengthened in our inner being as Jesus by his spirit takes up residency in us. And we then are able to step into this 4D world as it were. What is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love as his children that is available to us now, even though we can never know it in full. It is knowledge then that leads to deeper love of God and to action. Action towards one another and in the world. This is the final goal. So just going fast here, I know. Let me just recap what we just talked about. To just pray then for strength that you might be changed as God dwells in you, that's not the goal. All right, so piety for piety's sake. We don't, that's not what Paul wants for us. Pray for strength though. But don't make that the end in and of itself, right? To just pray for strength that you might comprehend and know more of God's love, right? Not the goal. Not the goal. This, this puts you in a tower by yourself and books, and those are good things, but those aren't, that's not the purpose of those things, according to Paul. The purpose is to pray for strength that you might be changed as God dwells in you so that then you might be moved to, to further comprehension, which leads to further knowledge of his infinite love so that it expresses itself in action. That you are literally filled up with his love. I could, if I wanted to, say that's not the goal because it's not an individual demand. It's the demand he's calling upon for the whole church to do. But it starts, where does that begin and end, right? But it's for the whole church to reflect this, right? What Paul calls this in chapter four is maturity. And it's not maturity for the individual, as I said, it's maturity for this community, which means we all play a role in, in, in building each other up and growing each other up in this way, so the takeaway is not for you to, I need to, I need to read my Bible more. You might need to. But don't, don't disconnect that from this. Right? If we just have a few people in here that are really growing, that are really maturing in their faith, right? but the church isn't growing and maturing, then we have not dealt with the text. That's what he's saying. This is our job collectively. 
And what has maturity looked like so far? Unity, oneness, right? Reconciliation that we talked about, humility and gratitude. All things, by the way, that have been uh, done by God, <laughs> right? We haven't done anything yet, but this is what this starts to look like. That's what that maturity looks like. It's becoming more and more like Christ is another way to put it. Now, if you think that you don't need strength on a daily basis to encounter all of that, as I said, you are not either listening to the Bible or I've done a terrible job explaining this text, which could be the case. But I underscore this, there's nothing more challenging there's nothing more, more, more difficult for the church to comprehend and do. Which is why Paul prays for strength for them. And so that's where I want to leave it for us at this point. Would we be a people who began to pray for strength, not just for ourselves, but for one another. As we've been saying this entire time, the goal here is as we do this together, we reflect this thing together. And a good question at this point is, well, where, where do we get this strength from, right? We're praying, Paul's praying for it. Where do we get it from? And I will just point again to the means of grace. This is where you get it from. You get it from the word of God. You get it from the sacraments. You get it from prayer. You get it from being around God's people. But his point is, don't go to these things. Don't go to this. Don't be here as if you're trying to get some extra special knowledge that God hasn't given to you already. His point is, is you have it. The question is, are you going to pull from it? Will you draw upon the endless riches of God's grace and his mercy? Right? Will you pray for strength to bear with, right? What, what will go on in the lives of believers as God comes in to take up residence with you? Will you pray for strength that we as a church, right, would not just comprehend, which is the joy of finding and seeking after, but then we would also know what is the infinite love of God. And then would you pray for strength that we would in the fullness of God, like that we'd be filled up with the fullness of God, which is that we would reflect him. That is what he wants. Would we pray for that? It's simple application. And I can hear it, I can hear myself, I can hear my cynicism, I can hear my skepticism, I can... What, what can God really do? I've been in this place long enough. This place doesn't change. So let me leave you, as I'm sure, as I'm sure the Christians in Ephesus said as well, let me leave you with Paul's closing words to them in this section. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray for us.
Heavenly Father, we um, thank you for this text. We thank you for the words that you gave Paul, the pastoral wisdom and heart to pray for his people in this way and that we might recognize that this is your word to us that we would be strengthened to live out what is already true of your church, the temple that you have come to dwell in, which is us. Would you make that more of a reality? And maybe, maybe for, for, for some of us, it's, it's just praying for strength to actually believe that or praying for strength uh, to, to change in the ways that we know honor and glorify you or praying for strength to think about ways that might stretch us uh, that would be thoughtful and persuasive even, reflections of your glory to others that they would say, what is that? That we could have conversations, not about ourselves, not about how great Wallace is, but that we could have conversations about the riches of God, his grace and his mercy to people who don't deserve it, like myself, for your glory. Would you do this? We ask in Jesus' name, amen.